Welcome to Crossword, where cultural clues lead to the truth of the word. I'm your host, Michelle Macklin. You can find my podcast and other great Catholic radio programming on archangelradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Michelle Macklin one Today, we have a very important book, maybe one of the most important books I've yet to discuss on this show. It is Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement by Mr. Charles Love, published by Emancipation Books, a imprint of Post Hill Press. Mr. Love is executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence, hosts the Charles Love Show, and a scholar at 1776 Unites. His work has been featured in City Journal, the New York Post, Real Clear Politics. Charles is a regular on Fox News and writes and speaks frequently on race, politics, current events, and cultural issues. And welcome, Mr. Charles Love. Well, thank you for having me. That was uh, very nice of you. I'm looking forward to our conversation, though. I am too. Now, tell us real quick, you have a radio show, but where is that radio show? The radio show broadcasts in Chicago, terrestrial radio. So you turn on your radio, people driving in their car, but turn to AM 560, The Answer, and listen to The Charles Love Show every Sunday at noon, well, 11 Central. See, I get mixed up because I moved to New York, so I broadcast the show and record the show in New York, but it airs originally in Chicago on Central Time, and then we podcast it for the world to see, uh, to listen to after the fact. So I'm going to admit from the very beginning, this is a controversial subject. Because I've had a lot of very controversial subjects from homosexuality to uh, pedophilia in the Catholic Church to transgender. But race is a very difficult subject to talk about in the United States. And I think one of the reasons why race is more difficult now than it was maybe five years ago or even 10 years ago is much because of what you write about in your book race crazy. It's become awkward in a lot of ways. You can't say something because everything is so politically charged. I have to ask you, with the title of your book, what do you mean by race crazy? You pick up the book and I tell you, you know, I had some guidance to make sure I put everything up front. And because, you know, because I'm tend to be the kind of writer who kind of lets things kind of develop and simmer. It's like, no, lay it out and then explain it later. So right from the front first line of the intro, I say what it is. The country has gone race crazy. We have become obsessed with it. It is, I mean, there's always been racial issues. There's always been people saying, we need to have an honest conversation about race. And then they immediately do not want to have an honest conversation. I basically talk for a living. All I do is yep, 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 yep. So I'm, a, I'm okay with having all kinds of conversations. But the honest descriptor in the front is interesting. So when I say race crazy, it's, it's, it's crazy because everything... Race is so uber important and it permeates everything, but nobody wants to talk about it honestly. So it's crazy because every decision has to be made based on race. You know, not just hiring. There were people who thought that before, but nominees for awards or the way you cover the news. You know, I got a piece out today in Newsweek talking about the school shooter in in Arlington and how. Whatever happened from that, I mean, you know, crime, whether you program back, you know, against guns or whatever the case may be. But we have a pattern that school shootings tend to follow. It's a perfect opportunity for people who want to help get guns off the street and limit the gun laws, freedoms, to come out and use that shooting as a reason to talk about that. But they didn't do it with this one. And you turn through the stations and one station is covering it, Fox News. The others aren't covering it live. And I just ask, why is that? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that shooter must be black. 
And sure enough, the shooter was. So even that. So now our news is race crazy. We tell the news with a racial slant. We educate with a racial slant. So we're race crazy because everything is about race. When did this start? Honestly, did I mean, is this a holdover from the 60s? Because I don't remember this until really about, I would say, maybe five years ago, where it really became almost, it just became nuclear, almost. So everything is so politically laden. Well, I would say it's always been going on behind the scenes. Some people talking about it. It's not, it's been an ongoing issue. But what we're talking about today, what I talk about when I say race crazy, it started in the late 90s, probably at the universities when they just started pushing this racial and social stuff. You had these social justice warriors. You had people complaining about things based on race and all that stuff. So it kind of started then and it kept picking up momentum. It was moving slow and steady as the race, but it didn't really accelerate. The gasoline was COVID, BLM, and George Floyd. After that, it was just, you know, off the races because white guilt poured on top of gasoline of racial strife. And then everything just took off from that. So now everything became that. So that's really when it's not when it started, but it's when it accelerated to the point that companies were bringing people in to talk about race. I'm like, but you make widgets. Why don't you just talk about making better widgets? No, we got to talk about how we make widgets. With, with Black people and the way that the police are policing Black people in their community, right or wrong, if that's an issue. But I don't think that that issue needs to be discussed everywhere in every corner of the world. And that's when we just start, decided to say, hey, we need to play Lift Every Voice and Sing at the NFL game. That will fix racism. We need to make Juneteenth a holiday. That will fix racism. We need to teach five-year-olds that uh, the, about white privilege. That will fix racism. So now that's when everything just became all-encompassing. What do you call progressive racism? What is that? Progressive racism, I like to describe as kind of gentler racism, right? We're racist. We technically, our actions, if to somebody, you drop a Martian here to observe, and then you show them clips of 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the actions are the same. The verbiage is the same, right? So it's still textbook racism, but they would argue that we're not really racist, right? Because of the reason why we do it. Intent matters, right? But the intent is not really that different, but it's just twisted. So they will say progressive racism, uh, progressive racists are the people who will say things like, well, like a Kendi who says, there's racism in the country. Yes. And the only way we can fight racism is with racism. Huh? So you're admitting it's racist. And so being an anti-racist, as he talks about it, as he describes, I mean, these are their own words. They will say, if you're a white person and you have no racial animus against blacks. In the past, you would be considered liberal, right? Small L liberal. You would be considered a civil rights advocate and you would be considered not racist. In Kendi's mind, you are racist unless you actively go out and punch, find racists and punch them in the face. So if somebody says a racist joke and you don't correct them, you're also, you just told a racist joke. You're the same. So now the way they skew it is everything's a racist. So for the progressive racist, It's all about intent. So if I think that blacks are being oppressed and I'm willing to do certain things, including treat whites unequally and take some of their whites and freedoms away in order to make things equal for blacks, then I'm doing the greater good. Except it's textbook definition of racism because you are treating someone different specifically because of their race. It's also racist against blacks because your assumption to fix the black problem because they're all oppressed is assuming that we're all oppressed. And since we're not, then you have a negative condescending view of blacks, which means in turn, you are racist. 
but it's progressive racism, so it's okay. You state that the goal of the book is to offer a to your readers a fair-minded, logical analysis of groups and beliefs in America, that these groups and beliefs, mainly the 1619 Project and BLM, Black Lives Matter, they have an agenda that is unenforceable and basically suppresses equality rather than supports it. Oh, it's it's absolutely true. I wrote about this shift before and people thought I was crazy and now we're here. Think about it. The main word they use nowadays across the board is equity, right? And if you think about it, if you're older than 40 and you just you know, take the politics and move away and just ask yourself, you scratch your head, it's like, well, we used to be fighting for equality. So right. why are we fighting for equity now? Is that the same? I don't, I don't even really use that word. What is that word? You look it up, you're like, huh, that's totally different. So that means you have to be a racist or pushing inequality in order to get to equity. Because you want to take some stuff from some people, give it to other people. You want to take some opportunities from people and give it to other people. You want to level the playing field. Remember that phrase, level the playing field. But most people thought that meant opportunity, not outcome. They are openly saying outcome, which obviously you could never do because people will still react differently within that machine. Even if you found a way to give everybody the same position three years later, they will be performing different because we are different. So that's the problem with that. And I just, when I say an honest assessment, it's like a lot of what, when conservatives get in trouble is when they call out BLM 1619, anti-racist or Robin D'Angelo and the like, even when they're right, they take a quote or a clip, a a line, or they see an interview where they did a 45 minute interview. I mean, it's not their fault. You can't show the whole thing. And you show 30 seconds. They say, look at this stuff. It's crazy. So then, and, and, and the left does it to the right. So what, the person who's being attacked would have the ability to say is, well, you took me out of context. That was only a small clip. And both sides would be true. So what I do in the book is I take nice, long quotes. I take stuff right from websites, right from their own words. It's not like one line to say, this is what they say. This is who they say they are. This is what they say they want to do. And you tell me if this is fair, logical, legal, or foster equality? And the answer is no. There's kind of this assumption, and I've always had this with the Black Lives Matter movement, is that group and the progressive groups who want to stamp out racism, Mm -hmm. that there is a false sense of purity on one side versus the other. It's the same way of people who want to, to denigrate Columbus, Christopher Columbus, and paint all Native Americans as absolutely pure and without mistake and without original sin. I get kind of the same feeling that now that is where race talk is in the United States, that you believe that if we can go back to something that was pure, that was fair and equitable and equal to everybody, but that's not human nature. That's not where we have ever been. We are born with original sin. We are born faulted in every society in history has had a group that they have denigrated, that they have put down, that they have been tribal towards. I just, there's such a false narrative as part of this on both sides. Oh, without doubt, I say it all the time. The bottom line is the problem is that they think they can fix human nature. That's It's that simple. They think that we've advanced so far in medicine and technology, and we have amass so much wealth that they have this grand level of hubris and they just think that we can sort of like stamp out racism. What does that mean? That's how somebody feels. How you gonna, if I hate women, right, you can call me a misogynist. And if I hate women, that's true. How are you going to stamp it out? 
You're going to reprogram me, right? You're going to make me watch videos of women doing wonderful things and change my mind. You can't stamp it out. You can't stamp out what people believe and what people think. You can train some people. You can police bad behavior when it happens after the fact, but you can't stamp it out. Why are you even wasting your energy on stamping it out? And that's openly admitting you're trying to reprogram people, Right. right? That's what it is. I agree with you absolutely on this. Now, tell us about Black Lives Matter. I was really surprised about the complexity of Black Lives Matter. I had a very naive notion of who Black Lives Matter was. I thought there were grassroots organizations around the country that kind of got together and did protests and did pictures on the sidewalk. At least that's what they do in Mobile, Alabama. And they kind of, they're not that bad of a thing. And actually your book really opened my eyes to how penetrating Black Lives Matter is and how that really is only the tip of the iceberg. Right. It's really bad. It's dangerous. Uh, and both that's why I write the book is specifically about them and the 1619 Project, because they're both bad and they're both dangerous. Not because I disagree with them, not because of uh, people uh, paying attention to them. My goal is to get people to understand the truth about them and do what they want to do with the information. So they're dangerous because they operate under a premise. Now, some people just disagree with them saying what they're saying is not true. But if I give them the argument as soon as true, policing is a problem, police brutality, police shooting, hunting down black men, and that's a problem. And so we formed this organization to stop that. That would be fine. And if you believe it, it'd be noble. Except when you look closer, you find out that's not what they are for. That's not what they're doing. They rarely talk about the police. If you go to their site, you read their materials and what they want. They don't talk about police brutality anymore. There's very little things on their website about it. But what you do find and what you'll find in my book, if you buy the book Race Crazy, you'll find all kind of quotes about what they want, believe and what they want to do with the country and things like we are abolitionists. Remember when people used to say defund the police and on both sides, they'll say, well, that's not what it means. It just means reallocating resource. No, you want to defund the police. No, actually, they call themselves abolitionists and say they want to abolish prisons and police and others. They say that they're anti-capitalist. They say that they want open borders. They say that they are focused on immigrant rights. And there's a lot of gender stuff. The most common and overriding theme is all about queer, femme, not gender non-conforming and what they call cis heteropatriarchy. So I want to be clear to people this. And I say when you and I say it over and over in the book, you need to understand. You can read that and agree with them and say, I support trans people. You can read that and say Women are marginalized. You can read that and say racism is a problem. You can read that and say capitalism is bad. I may disagree with you, but that's not the point. I'm writing it and saying, whoa, 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 look over here. Don't look at the flashy thing. Focus on me. This is an organization built around, and most naive people believe, whose whole purpose is police brutality, and they're not talking about the police. That is the issue. People are donating money and inviting them in so they can talk about the ills of policing. And then when they get in and get on the stage and you hand them a mic, they say, hi, I'm John Smith from Black Lives Matter, and I'd like to talk about gays. I'd like to talk about patriarchy. I'd like to talk about the ills of capitalism. So, okay, I paid about my ticket to talk policing. Where's the police brutality conversation? Oh, we don't have any of that anymore. We've moved beyond that. BDS, they used to have BDS on their website at the beginning. People forgot that. They took that down quick. But before 
they got really big, BDS was on their website. What was BDS? BDS was the boycott, divest, and sanction movement for people in America who didn't like Israel's actions against Palestine in the in the Gaza Strip. So they wanted to divest money and boycott Israel until they changed their policy. Might be noble. Jews may be terrible in Israel. Don't know what that has to do with a black group founded in Missouri focusing on police shooting, though. So tell me I'm wrong. Now, now some would say, well, as long as they're focused for good, it doesn't matter. No, 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 no. If I donate money to the American Cancer Society or the Susan G. Komen Organization for Breast Cancer because I care about that issue and she uses that and they take that money and they used it for another type of cancer like prostate cancer or they use it for juvenile diabetes or they use it for no medical issues at all. If they use it to clean up a neighborhood, clean it, help the homeless, that is a noble thing to do, but that is not why I gave you the money. Right. You are no longer a cancer association. Why is BLM in its gender movement? I, that one I can't get. I can't really explain why they do it. I just put enough quotes from them that nobody can argue their way out of that bag and say it's not true because they say it over and over and over and over. So why they are, I don't know. My honest opinion, only opinion, opinion alert, opinion alert. I think it started, and I think I say this in the book, I think it started as a grassroots organization specifically on that movement, police brutality. They tried to raise money. They tried to push some political agenda. They tried to bring focus. Somebody with political agenda came to them and said, okay, you're raising five, ten, twenty thousand dollars That's cute. I will give you millions, but you got to sprinkle your agenda. Well, you keep your agenda, but you got to sprinkle some of my stuff into your agenda. So you need to take on BDS. You need to take on the, the uh, queer community because there's no way three random people in a black community who truly care about policing would just say, you know what, what we were sitting around the kitchen table and said, we're going to call ourselves Black Lives Matter. We're going to take care of those police and what they're doing to us. And one of them say, oh, oh can we add BDS to, to the agenda? I think it'd be good if we add B-. There's no way that happens. There's 0% chance that that happens. <laughs> they wouldn't even be thinking that. So somebody must have incentivized them to do it. Okay, let's talk about the police brutality. You bring out some really great statistics. And you know what? Everybody is against police brutality because you know what? It's not just blacks that benefit. It's not just one racial group that benefits. It's everybody that benefits from. And these are public service. How the hell do you get paid by my tax dollars and you go get get to go beat people? No, you got to go. No, you got to go. I mean, there's protocols that they need to follow. There's there's and we we will always every society in the world will have to constantly work on People who have weapons, people who don't have weapons, how they threaten people, wherever you stand on the gun thing. But the fact is that they have the use of lethal force. So should be trained and expected to behave in a certain manner. However, when BLM started, you really got the impression that they were shooting, going around shooting unarmed, innocent, unarmed Black no, men. No. Hunting us down. Use their words. We are being hunted in the streets. Uh, LeBron James says black men are being hunted. One of the things I've got three big strapping white sons and I tell them when they if they're ever pulled over the, by the police, you know what? You put your hands up. You go submissive. And I worry about as much of them being shot as I'm sure a black mother worries about her son being shot. But the distinction was made by these high profile arrests of people who were actually acting badly when they were being arrested. And I'm talking about George Zimmerman and Mike Brown and uh, uh, Brianna. Break- yes, they were breaking the law why they were being arrested. And that the problem I always had with it, why was that behavior never called out? 
by BLM. To that question, it's just because they have a narrative and they and they focus on stories that fit the narrative. The more important question would be because you, you know these people are emotional and they don't have logic on their side. So, like, I wouldn't even make the argument you made. Not that even that is wrong, but it's low hanging fruit. And they'll say, well, were they really wrong? Brianna was Brianna was at home, and you know, they, they, you know, they'll come up with all these things. So I use the cases where they can't argue out. So. For the listeners, this is another way for them to understand how to approach these these situations. So what I will say is give you your argument. Police are hunting black men down, hunting down black people and shooting them indiscriminately unarmed for absolutely no reason, completely innocent. If that's the case, one, why aren't the numbers much higher? Right. It's really like 22 actually unarmed, not thousands. But why don't you just use better uh, examples? Right. You get to go through all the shootings and pick the examples you want. Why pick the Why don't you pick the college professor who has the MBA from Harvard who got shot unarmed on the street by the police for no reason? Why, why didn't they use that? Yeah. Right, why because did? it didn't happen. That's why they don't use them, because they don't happen. <laughs> because they don't happen. They don't have those examples. If they had those examples, they would use them. Right. That is the point, because we aren't being indiscriminately hunted down. And my other piece, keep in mind, for, for those people who catch clips, around, they may edit this and say, he's saying there's no police brutality. I say there's lots of police brutality and it's far too much. But police brutality, which has been proven, is mostly not shooting. So I would then argue, well, if you really care about police brutality, why are you focusing on the 20 people that got shot out of millions of people? Why are you focusing on the people who get beat up for no reason and all the complaints that police officers get? But they don't complain, complain about that. That And why are you only focusing on the blacks? Why would you go to your allies on the white side who are also getting beat and who gets shot more often than blacks, by the way, and say, let's, your son got shot, my son got shot, your son got beat, my son got beat, let's get together and stop brutality. So if you really care about brutality, if you stop all the brutality, you would also, in essence, stop the black brutality, but you only talk black and they don't talk, they jump right over brutality and go right to shootings and say, we are, uh, and then they tell a lie and say, blacks are being shot, unarmed people are being shot for no reason and the police are hunting us down. Well, if they're hunting you, aren't you easy to find? And if they're trying to shoot you all, how do you, how do you also are the same people who say mass incarceration is a problem and it's racist, 1619 Project, and there's too many black men in jail for no reason. Well, how'd they get in jail? Shouldn't the cops who are hunting them down, who are rabbit clan members, just shot them? The jail should be empty of black men because they all were shot on the way to prison. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. I, I mean, th- and that this is the conversation that we are not having. I would say the lack of that conversation has more to do with racism than what they're actually purporting. I'm a white mother of a white son, a black mother of a black son. We are both worried about the safety of our sons in operating in society. Why can't we bring that together because then that's not a race issue. That's just an American human issue that if we solve, then we solve for everybody and not just for one, one group of people, because you can't tell me that people that brutalize one group of people are not going to brutalize another group of people. It just doesn't work that way. That's exactly, you know, and, and maybe we need to talk about who we recruit to go into the police, do better psychology and stuff like that. But that is a question that I had brought that point out in your book very well. Who funds BLM? This is really interesting because I went on this website. I had to see for myself. So I went on the BLM website. First thing, there's nothing on the website. It, there's really, I couldn't even find like the preamble you were talking about. There, every It's scrubbed. It is scrubbed. I went on and looked at funding. There's almost, I, I couldn't find 
where this is being funded from. I mean, there's the Tides Foundation, but that's not really even a funding. That's more of a philanthropy love connect, basically. Mm -hmm. So who is funding this? Because you're talking about millions of dollars here, right? Right, right. And that's the problem. I mean, I did a lot of research, to be honest. I like the fact that after he was attacked, that Rand Paul said, we need to get to the bottom of this. And I just chuckled. I said, that's sweet. It's never going to happen. And I talk about why it won't happen in my book. I can't give you everything. You got to buy the book. So you go in the book and okay. you find out why, why it won't happen. But I will say there are a lot of organizations that fund a lot of organizations that fund other organizations that fund organizations, right? So you give money to, to BLM, but you can also give money to but Mad City, Mad Kids, or you can give money to the Black-led movement fund, which will give money to Black Lives Matter, which will give money to another organization who will give this money to this to the to the Vision for Black Lives. You got if you go to the website, I'll tell you where you can find it. They'll say openly that we have 170 Black-led organizations that are beneath us. So how do you know which one I'm giving money to, right? How do you know? I mean, oh, you give me money and just trust that I'm, I'm going to take care of it and use it in the way that we talk about doing it. And then you don't know where it goes. So there's no way to really track it. The shocking thing is that BLM is not the preeminent movement there. It's the Black... Uh, the Movement for it? Black Lives. The Movement for Black Lives that is really the power organization. Yeah, they right? got $100 million a couple of years ago. They fund a lot of other things. They are the ones putting out all the writing, proposed legislation that I Can't Breathe Act. That came from them, not BLM. You never see them in the in the media. They never have spokesperson because they don't need to. They are the operating system of the BLM movement. No one's heard of them. I mean, I think I've mentioned it to a now about 90 people. Only one person has heard of them. Nobody's heard of them. I give them the website and they blow their mind. They're like, where did this come from? Because you never see, you wouldn't have a reason to look them up because you don't know they're there. They're hiding in plain sight. You go to the, look at BLM, you get BLM. If you watch some person on the, on TV on a news clip and they make fun of them. They're all BLM. So you look at them, you don't think the same thing, but you find them and you find what they really believe. And, you know, it's it's scary and it's anti-American and dangerous. What is the ultimate purpose of this? It's not, it has nothing to do with racism. I think it has to do with power. It's just a plain power grab That's and they're it. using racism as a, basically as a tool. Yeah, and most people on the right say it's usher in Marxism. It's for some of them. I think that this group is made of a ragtag group of people all have different agendas. There's some there who just like, I want to fix racism. There's some there like, I want to solve police brutality. But the majority and the people who are running things and controlling it and fund, going to get funding and all that, it's power. And for some Marxism, but I say far greater, it's probably 20% Marxism, 80% power. They just want power. If they really wanted Marxism, they would be doing the same things but when they got the money, they would be doing different things. There would be money in the black community, right? Patrice Colors wouldn't buy three houses, right? I'm not knocking her because she calls herself a Marxist, but she's not a Marxist. She's not a Marxist. They're pushing that stuff because they want power and control. They want the ear of the president. They want to be able to, to have Nike bow at their feet or listen, jump every time they make a command. They want it to be when you turn on Netflix, instead of getting a list of your preferred movies, you get Black Lives Matter edition and that collection. And that's what they're giving you. So they're getting what they want. That's why they're giving you more of it, because they're getting what they want. It's power, plain and simple. What's the one drug that human beings cannot handle? That's it. Power. It's yep. everyone craves. going to corrupt. Yeah, and nobody can handle it. It's it's absolutely true. Okay, the 1619 Project. The 1619 Project, you contend, is all about slavery and that everything that 
a black person does or a white person does today is about slavery. How and I will contend that Nicole Hannah-Jones, don't put that on me. Nicole Hannah-Jones said that. Right. I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I meant 1619. <laughs> I'm talking about you contend that the 1619 Project says this. Why is this so dangerous right now? It just, to me, this just seems crazy. But Because it's in the schools. You hear all this argument about CRT. Is it CRT or not CRT? To be or not CRT? <laughs> what we know for sure is that project came out in the fall of uh, end of the summer of 2019, far before the George Floyd moment. And by the beginning of the school year, it was in 4,500 schools and been growing ever since. Backed by the New York Times and the Pulitzer Foundation. They are pushing it in school. It is a lie of omission. It is toxic. It is anti-American. It is angry. It has nothing positive to say about anything, America or anyone else in it. So what is going to happen when we teach our kids for generation all this negative much of it true, and don't supplement it with any context or honesty or truth or positive, then what do we do? That's such a great question because slavery did happen in this country. It is a stain on this country, but we have to put it in a context to understand, I think, to fully understand the depth of that stain, to understand what we've done to accurately understand how not to oppress again, whether it's black, whether it's Native American, whether it's white women, whether it's whatever, whether it's Catholics, whatever you are out there, that only if you understand history accurately, can you really formulate and use critical thought to go forward. And I think that's the biggest danger of 1619. And it doesn't matter if that's a, if you're a black child or a white child, if you're missing out on a key component of education, it's not going to get better with time. No, yeah. not at all. And the fact that they're telling young kids this stuff, nothing positive. Why would they love America? Because you're only telling them negative stuff. And you're teaching it as fact when Nicole Hannah-Jones said it is a work of memory, not fact. So why is it being taught in history and social studies classes is the question. It's really bad. One of the more noxious effects of all of this, whether it's BLM or 1619, is it gives people an excuse not to take personal responsibility for their lives, not to be the human agents in their lives. Right. And in this country where we can shape a future. And you know what? It's not easy for anyone. It just isn't. But we can shape a future. I live in a country now where it's very difficult to shape a future. Your future is determined when you're born. But in the United States, no, your future is determined by your creativity and by your drive and your willingness. I saw this in the military. I see very successful stories in the military. I see it in the church. I see it in middle-class society. I see black professionals in middle-class society. People make it in America if they really strive and drive and thrive. And maybe that is white privilege to think that, but I know too many successful black men and women now that are not living the narrative of 1619 or BLM. Right. And then they believe that, like you talk about taking away agency, I don't understand. I mean, like I said, much of the negatives that they say are true. And I keep saying that what I don't get is how if I knock over a liquor store, how you can say, well, obviously he robbed the liquor store because his great, great, great grandmother was a slave. I mean, how does that even make sense? Like, because like I'm going around thinking, man, I need a job and I need some money. But grandma was a slave, so I should probably go rob a liquor store. That's asinine. Right. So it makes no sense. But that's really what they're saying. Well, we're not saying that. We're saying the reason that he needed a job and he couldn't find a job is due to systemic racism and all leads back to slavery. No, it's not. He lives in a town where everybody who manages everything around them is black. He's in a black community. All the business owners are black. What do you mean? Somebody, somebody give him a job. Nobody in his community is 
actively trying to stop blacks from getting a job? What are you talking about? Where were the people that care, like Nicole Anna Jones, to go to them and help them get the skills they need to move up as opposed to filling their head with this garbage? Too busy making their millions and becoming tenured professors. That's where they were. Uh, the problem, the people who are the problem. Interesting. Very interesting. What's the solution here? What's People our way forward? Okay. You have to talk. Everybody has to talk. I can't. I'm done. I'm done with you people. I'm done. No more white people saying, well, I'm white. So I can't say anything. Stop it. Stop it. If blacks can have a truth, then you have a truth. So if blacks can go around and say, but, but I have an experience that you don't have. And they want to talk about, well, that is true because I don't have, an, don't have that experience. Well, you have an experience they don't have. Right. So especially you're the white person. You grew up in the South and your parents and grandparents supported the Civil Rights Act. So when they tell you that everybody in Alabama is a racist, that's your job to say, well, oh, by the way, let me explain to you about my father and my grandfather. So because they never hear that. So they if you don't talk, just remember this, if you don't talk, they are able to create your story for you. So everybody has to talk. And I say talk to everybody. Talk to your Uber driver. Talk to the person at the lunch counter. Talk to your friends. Talk to that. And keep in mind, my book and my movement is not political. So I'm not telling you to go and talk about those darn Democrats and Republicans. No, no, don't even bring those words in. Just talk about, do you think it's okay that ask probing questions, say, because I don't agree with that, why does that make me a racist? Saying, what do you think? I'm a solutions person. How do we solve the problem? Let's get out of the ugliness of arguing about how many people are racist. So we all agree there's racism, but you say it's 10 and you say it's 90 million. We know the number somewhere between 10 and 90 million. You're both <laughs> wrong. Why wait? We're never going to know the exact number. So instead of that, why don't we focus on what we can control? That's the solution. Liberals, people in the middle have to speak up. You can't just make this a conservative thing. It's become a political movement because not enough people in the middle are talking, but they're starting to. You know, Charles Love, I'm going to start talking about it. And I have to tell my audience, I was nervous about this interview beforehand because I didn't even know whether to use the word black or African-American because I have had liberal friends tell me that I cannot use the word black. I have to and use African-American. Because no black person would say that. So those were white liberal friends. Oh, absolutely. White liberal friends have told me I cannot use the word black. I have to use African-American. And so, you know what? So I read the book. The book makes absolute sense. The book is a great, great, great point for starting discussion. You said you wrote it for liberals. I think this is a great book for white people to begin a conversation. And I think white people, this is not a movement. White people should buy the book, have book clubs, and then invite me and I'll even come and, and, and talk about the book at their book clubs. I think that's a great idea. And I will start in Fairhope, Alabama. There are several book clubs going. I will see if we can get if we can do that because you're right. We need this, this conversation and we need not to be afraid of it. And I am never going to be afraid to talk about race relations with anyone again, because it's not useful. It's not realistic. And we've got to be American. The bottom line is we are American and we've got to be American. I live in Germany and we are actually, as a country, much more integrated than the rest of the world, believe it or not. We really are. We're stronger together. And I really, truly believe that. So where there is a problem, how are you going to solve it when you only let, you know, 15 percent of the population discuss it? So the rest of the people don't get a say in what the solution is. That's that's not going to work. No, that's not going to work because we all have to live together. You're right. And you know what? And I go from the point, a black mother loves her black son as much as I, a white mother loves my white son. And we've got to come together to make a better society for 
both of our sons. I don't have any daughters. I do the same with the daughter, but I just have sons. So. All right, Mr. Love, you can buy this book anywhere. I'm sure it will be out. Uh, it'll be released November 9th. 9th. Pre-order now at Amazon, Book of Books a Million, Barnes and Nobles, and several places. Okay. Okay. Do you have any preference for where you would like people to buy the book? No, as long no. as they buy three copies. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Charles, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about your book, Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement, published by Emancipation Books, an imprint of Post Hill Press. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Crossword, where cultural clues lead to the truth of the word. I have been your host, Michelle McAloon. You can find my podcast and other great Catholic radio programming on archangelradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Michelle McAloon1. Thanks, y'all. God bless.